0: Well, welcome everybody to Westside Church here online on our YouTube channel. We're really excited to have you and uh, I'm still uh, excited for last Sunday. Last Sunday, if you weren't able to join us in the afternoon, uh, we were actually here in person outside and it was so good to be back together in person, a little bit different than we're used to, but to be able to even outside get together and to see some people face to face as we stayed uh, as socially distant as we could uh, to be able to sing together. I've missed that so much. I know many of you have missed that. Uh, being able to sing together, worship together in that way. Uh, We were able to see a baptism, uh, which was amazing. A couple of parent-child dedications as families came and uh, dedicated themselves and their children um, as they raised those kids uh, in the Lord and to follow Jesus. And so that was so good. That was so exciting and uh, really glad for those of you who were able to come. And uh, if you weren't able to come, don't worry. We're going to have some more opportunities uh, as we work through this summer to be able to do that. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about that at the end of this message, uh, some things that we're planning that we're really excited about. But uh, that was a thrill for me. And uh, it's just exciting as we start to see our province slowly open up a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, we're starting to see, I don't know if you're uh, watching TV of, of other places in the world and, and of North America, but we're starting to see uh, some places really open up. Uh, and one of the ways that I've really seen this and has become just, uh, it's almost a shock to the system after the last 15 months or so, but uh, to start watching sports and in a lot of places in North America where they're more open than, than we are at this point here in Ontario, uh, they're, they're packing entire stadiums again. And so you can actually watch certain sports events uh, in certain places in North America where uh, there's, there's thousands and thousands of people back in the same building watching sports and having this, this experience that we haven't had uh, in so long. And that was one of my favorite things that I'm missing. Not that I did it super often, but to be able to go to a, a baseball game or a football game, uh, for some of you maybe it's hockey or a concert, and to be able to just enjoy the energy And the excitement of collectively being together with that many people with some sort of a shared purpose, right? Even if it's just cheering for your favorite team or enjoying your favorite music, to be back in a building that has that electric kind of atmosphere and energy to it as as people come back together. And there's so much excitement around that. And I know that's something that so many of us are looking forward to. Actually, one of my my favorite experiences of being in that kind of environment was about five years ago. I went to a Toronto Blue Jays game baseball team. And uh, five years ago, they were a good team. And at the end of the season, 162 game season, uh, they were right there for a playoff spot, but they got into the wild card game, which means that they had one game, win or lose. If they win, they go to the playoffs. If they lose, they're done for the season, they go home. And I had a friend who offered me and another buddy of ours a free ticket to go to that game, which was amazing. I'm a big baseball fan. And so we went to this game. And as, as we get into the game, there's you know, somewhere around 50,000 other people in the stadium, the Rogers Center right downtown. And the game was intense. It was a close game all the way through, and we're sitting there, not just me and my friend, uh, but with 50,000 other people, and we all have this this rooting interest in the Blue Jays. Everybody's wearing a Blue Jay hat, a Blue Jay T-shirt, I think they gave out towels for us to wave around, so the whole thing is is, everybody's wearing white and blue, everybody's cheering, everybody's exciting. It was the kind of atmosphere where as the game goes on, you start to get to know the people around you. You know, if a good play happened for our team, we're high-fiving, we're talking, Talking about strategy, uh, you know, just sharing these little moments with people that are in front of us behind us, beside us. uh, And you get this kind of feeling of camaraderie, right? Like you're all in something together. Super exciting. So we wade through this game, which is a few hours long. And again, you're, you're building a rapport with people around you. You're getting excited. You're cheering together. And as the game got to the end of it, it was tied. And so it went into extra innings. So now everybody is collectively sitting on the edge of their seat. And as we get to the bottom of the 11th inning, so now we're into extra innings, one of the Blue Jays' best hitter gets up and launches a home run over the left field fence and in one swing, in one instant, wins the game and it means the entire season is vindicated. They're going to the playoffs and that place erupted. I mean, I have never been in a stadium and heard it that loud before. Everybody is cheering at the top of their lungs and jumping up and down. And again, you're high-fiving and hugging complete strangers that you never met before that day. And the excitement level is peak. I can remember Standing there on the concrete floor and feeling the concrete floor just kind of bounce up and down as these tens of thousands of people go absolutely nuts. And as the game ended, everybody files out into the streets of Toronto and it was like a huge party. The joy was infectious. Everybody's having an absolute blast. Again, people that you've never met before and you'll never see again in a lot of instances are high-fiving and hugging and and we're talking about it and just absolutely having a blast just to be together in that kind of way with a little bit of, of shared mission and a rooting interest was so absolutely amazing. And that, as I think back on that, and I think through, oh man, that's the kind of environment, again, whether it's a sports event or a concert or uh, going to a play or something like that, these are the kind of collective experiences that we're so looking forward to, coming together and 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 having something in common that, that is just so uh, emotional or encouraging or exciting that we get to be part of. And when we're part of it, there's this relational aspect. And that may, has made me think about, what it'll be like for us to regather as a church. And what do we want to be true of us when we regather as a community in person? When we're back in the auditorium on a Sunday morning together on a regular basis where, where we can sing, where we can worship, where, where we're, Together with a sense of mission and, and purpose, what is it that we want our community to be, to be about? And that's something that I have uh, really wrestled with over the last uh, number of months, something that I've talked to uh, our board and our leaders about, um, and just asked, uh, who do we need to be? Why does West Side Church here in Hamilton, why do we need to exist? Why do we need to come back together? What is it about this community that is going to be powerful and is going to be worth people gathering into collectively together? What will it be that we're inviting family and friends and neighbors into? When we can once again regather in purpose and what do we want that to be like? And this series is just going to be a couple of weeks this week and next week. We're calling it Committed to Community and I want to just share a little bit about uh, what I think God has laid on my heart uh, and for some of us collectively as leaders to talk about uh, where we see uh, Westside going, what we we think God is doing in us and what he'll do through us uh, over the next phase Uh, As we look forward to regathering, and and we're hoping that we'll take some steps, continue to take steps of regathering over the summer. And we're looking forward to, uh, if if things go well in September, being able to regather on a more regular basis uh, here in the church. I want to start by reading uh, and looking at a passage of uh, something Jesus taught from Mark chapter 3, but this is uh, the same sentiment, the same basic teaching is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels and something similar is in the Gospel of John as well, which uh, means that it's obviously important for the, the Gospel writers all to pick up on it and to include it. So Jesus in Mark chapter 3, a little bit of context, Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's already stirring the pot. There's a, a huge crowds that are following him because he's healing people and because he's teaching things uh, that, that are attracting large numbers of people to come follow him. And as he does that, there's also already opponents. There are specifically religious leaders who find what Jesus is doing to be threatening. And so there's this, on the one hand, heightened popularity. On the other hand, uh, there's instant opposition to him. And so as the crowds are following him, and he's teaching and he's healing, in Mark chapter 3, verse 31, it says this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. A little bit of context. I want to talk a little bit about family, especially for somebody living in the first century uh, as a Jewish man. What, What does family mean? So your mother... And your brothers are outside asking for you. First, a little aside. Um, One is that uh, the fact that his brothers and mother are there, but not his father indicates probably most people have assumed uh, that his father has died. Joseph has died. Otherwise, he would be there too. He'd be mentioned. He's actually not really mentioned at all in Jesus' life. Uh, we, don't, we don't see anything about him. His family, if we go back to verse 21 in the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 3, we learn why his family is there. And his family is there because, and you might be able to imagine this um, here comes Jesus. He's grown up. He's about 30 years old now. And all of a sudden, he, he's, he's teaching these things and he's bringing this opposition. And they're actually worried. They're concerned about him. Verse 21 says, When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. His family's going, You're, you're, you're nuts. What are you doing? This is not the kind of life that we expected you to have. You're stirring up the pot. You're bringing on opposition. You're doing all these things and saying all these things that, that are bold. And, and uh, we think you shouldn't be doing this. And so we get a little bit of insight. They're not just here to kind of shoot the breeze and say, hey, let's have lunch together as family. They're here because they're very concerned about what Jesus is doing. They think he has gone mad. Now, family background and the dynamics uh, in, in the first century for Jewish people, to, to just understand a little bit about what family meant to them. The family was an extremely tight and long-lasting bond. The family unit was oftentimes also the business unit. They worked together. They had family businesses. They they often lived together on the same property, even in the same house, even as the children grew up uh, and got married. The extended families would often live right there together, all all in one property, uh, that they would uh, participate in the family business. For many people, that would be the expectation. So if your father was a farmer, there's a good chance you were going to work the family farm. If your father was a fisherman, fisherman, uh, then you might become a fisher as well. Um, That would be very, very common and different for many of us. Many of us, our expectations is that you grow up and uh, maybe you get to an age where uh, you go off to college or university. It wouldn't be uncommon for many of us to think, uh, I'm going to a different city other than my hometown, different place in the province, different place in the country, even for many of us, a different place in the world. And we're going to decide where we live based on the opportunities that we have in our education or the new relationships that we have Maybe you meet somebody and you start a life with them uh, somewhere. You get married, you have kids, uh, you start a family, something like that. Um, Even you follow a job and that could be for a lot of us anywhere in the world that you just get up and you move, and and we have ways of, of trying to stick together with technology that they didn't have, and we have different expectations in, in a lot of ways, but for uh, the first century Jewish people, for most of them, it was, you're going to stay here, and as the family goes, so you go. We have a collective identity, and our extended family is part of our identity, part of who we are. There's this deep loyalty to the family, to the family business, and not only that, for first century Jews, uh, it was a big part, loyalty to your family was the same Central fabric of how you expressed your religious identity. Your, your identity as a person of God really came from the fact that you're part of this family. And so, expressing loyalty within that family, having extremely close bonds, knowing this is my closest circle of relationships where I give myself to being part of this family, would have been how they looked at what it means to be a brother or a sister, or a son or a daughter. The family was the center from which all other aspects of community and peoplehood emanated. So I I almost can't emphasize it enough. So here's Jesus who sets out on this mission that he has to announce the kingdom of God. And here come his family unit, his closest kin, the people that... uh, in that culture, it would have been just so assumed and part of their world. These, this is my number one loyalty. It's to my family. And so they come to him and they say, hey, send word. You know, you can picture like Jesus is surrounded by a crowd and they're trying to get in and they send word. And people are saying, hey, Jesus, your, your mother, your brothers, they're outside. They want to talk to you. Verse 33 says, Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? The answer for most of them would be, they are your closest relationships, the people you owe loyalty to most. This is the unit from which you express your identity, who you are as a child of God in this world. They're, they're your business partners. They're, they're everything to you. Then he looked around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus drops an absolute bombshell. He is reshaping the idea of family in a way that would have been a total shock to his audience. He looks at people around him, he says, Those who do the will of God, these are my N.T. Wright, uh, who is one of the most prolific uh, biblical scholars of our generation, said about this, that in this, God is doing the unthinkable. He is starting a new family, a new holy people, and is doing so without regard for ordinary human family bonds. What Jesus is doing is creating a new family that takes precedence over any other relational circle. This is to a lot of them completely offensive. Would have knocked them back. What are you saying about family? Jesus, that's your mother. That's your brothers. That's your family. You owe everything to them. That's who you are. And he says, actually, look around. You, those who want to do the will of God, those who want to come follow me, these are my brothers and sisters. This is my family. I am creating a new family. This isn't new for Jesus or an isolated event. This is actually something we see that's, that's uh, prevalent all the way through Jesus' ministry. For example, when he calls his disciples, I don't know if you've read through some of the gospels, you might remember that uh, that Jesus, sometimes when he calls his disciples, um, for example, some of them are fishing with their father. That's their family and that's their business. That's their entire life and livelihood and lifestyle. It's who they are. And when you read those stories, you know, people like James and John and say, hey, come follow me. And it says they left their net. They're out there with their father. They leave their net and they come follow him. You just need to understand how profound that is. They're not just saying, oh, we can't can't go fishing today. We'll come back later. They are adopting a completely radical new way of living. They are showing an allegiance to Jesus that takes precedence over everything else in their life. I'll leave the family business, but that's who you are. And they just lay down their nets and they go follow Jesus to start out on something completely new. This, this complete allegiance to following Jesus allows them to actually leave the family and leave the family business. At one point, somebody comes and they want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, well, come, you got to, you know, leave your family and uh, leave your business and come follow me. And one of them says, well, let me first bury my father. Now, that doesn't mean that that, that would be disciple. Uh, it was funeral day and, and dad had just died and he's got to go and, and attend to the funeral. It means just let me wait until my father passes on. That'll be a much more uh, appropriate time for me to go. Culturally, that will be accepted. I will have fulfilled my responsibility as a son. My dad will have passed on. And now I can go and do my own thing without feeling like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm messing with the allegiance here of the family. To which Jesus says, uh, leave the dead to bury their own dead. It sounds harsh. He's challenging their ultimate loyalty to anything other than the kingdom of God. He's not saying families are bad. He's not saying you shouldn't be a good son. You shouldn't be a good father. You shouldn't be a good brother or sister or any of that. He's challenging their number one allegiance. What's most important to you. In Matthew chapter 10 verse 35, he puts it this way. He says... I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Oh, it's powerful. That little uh, passage started with a quote from Micah chapter 7. Micah was one of the prophets of Israel. um, And he was making the point that if your ultimate allegiance is anywhere other to God, then you need to make a drastic change. And that might even feel like it's extremely divisive for that which you have already kind of pledged your ultimate allegiance to, even in your family. That if it comes down to it, if you have the choice to follow God's will for your life, or what your family is doing, if there's a conflict there, if that's not going in the same direction, and Jesus says, I'm calling you to the kingdom of God to place your allegiance there first. And I'm creating a new family. Everything that you thought about family, as deep as it goes, as committed as you need to be, should be to following me. You know, wow. I mean, cutting right at the core of who people are. And the audience that is hearing this is hearing it from the perspective of having extremely close, extremely strong family bonds, as we talked about. This is, this is who they are. This is how they live their life. I would say this. Many of us who are hearing this actually come from a place of having relatively weak bonds. And I think over the last 15 months of this pandemic, one of the things that has been brought to light is is the problem that has plagued many of us is that we actually have a lack of deep and meaningful relationships. Whereas the original audience would have said, I have such a strong relationship with my entire extended family. This is rocking me. I think a lot of us might come from the perspective where we say, you know what? I don't have that strong of bonds in my life. Maybe I do with my wife or my husband. Maybe I'm very concerned with my children, but my extended family, you know, we're kind of all over the place. And we get together at Christmas or, or, or if there's a wedding or a funeral in the family. But, but we might be in a place where we're far more individualistic than the original audience, where that's not actually uh, our number one priority is our extended family. We don't live with our extended family, many of us. Not, not all of us, some of us do. Uh, we don't do business with our family. We're not in a family business necessarily. In fact, we've become very uh, individualistic in a lot of ways. You know, I think uh, over the last 15 months, one of the things that the pandemic for me has illuminated, is a problem that I don't think just started 15 months ago. I think it's a problem uh, that many of us have experienced for a long time, but it's just been accentuated uh, throughout the pandemic. And it's that we have a lot of very superficial relationships and not a ton of really deep, meaningful, powerful family-like bonds. I actually think that in our culture, many of us, uh, whether we know it or not, are longing for those kind of relationships. We wish we had relationships that felt like family. Like there were people that were there for us no matter what. People that were going to walk through life with us in the good times and in the difficult times, people that we could count on and who could count on us, no matter what's happening in our life, people that we could talk to about the things that you don't put on social media, the things that are deep, the, the things that are hard. You know, this, this past year has been interesting. I've gotten to know some of my neighbors in the last um, year to a year and a half better in that span of time than I did in the previous nine years that we lived in our house. And I think it's because we've had less places to go and people have been housebound and, you know, all we have to do for for a lot of the last year and a bit has been to walk around. And so you see people more often maybe on their driveway and their front lawn. Um, We're not as busy commuting here and there, going to activities here and there. And so uh, we've gotten to know some of our neighbors better than we have in, in almost a decade before that. And I've actually found myself over this past year, multiple times standing in somebody's driveway or on the front lawn while they weep, while they, the tears fall down their face and they talk to me about the relationships that they wish they had or about the relationships that have been broken in their life that they long to have restored or about losses that they've experienced in their life. And I'm standing with these grown adults, tears streaming down their face as they talk about their longing for 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 this kind of deep relationship, family-like relationships, or the struggles in their biological family or outside, and feeling lonely and feeling like there's nobody there for them, or feeling like they, they have no one to go to, or they're isolated, and this isolation and loneliness that so many people are feeling, this lack of depth in relationship, I don't think is a pandemic problem, but I think the pandemic has has brought it to surface for a lot of people. You go, you know, I'm lonely. And when I've lost some of the superficial outlets for relationships, maybe with coworkers or, or social stuff, or, or are going to different events, or we're not as busy, all of a sudden we've realized, "Wow, if I look around and I I'm ask myself, who, "Who do I have?" Not just superficially, but who do I have to relate to in a really deep and meaningful way?" a lot of us are feeling a void. There's a great temptation in our culture two of them that I want to talk about. Uh, there's a great temptation in our culture to become number one, individualistic. Uh, this is so much of how we run our society and our culture is very individualistic and it's all about me and not just me, but sometimes our immediate family, right? I'm taking care of my kids. I'm taking care of, uh, we're taking care of each other. If we're married, uh, we're doing our life, we're trying to get ahead, but it, but it becomes very focused on, on just us, and so we go to work and we work long hours and we commute home and we go right inside when we get home and we're just resting up and recharging to hopefully go back out the next day. And it's about getting ahead and all this kind of stuff, even the way that we build houses uh, now that they build houses is, I think, speaks to this because oftentimes there's very little property around your house and your yard. There's very little opportunities to, to, you know, be talking across the fence or the hedges with people. It's I go home and I go inside and that's my living space. I have privacy and independence. We're very individualistic, and sometimes it's so easy for us to get caught in that. And our whole lives uh, revolve around what I can do for me or for my kids. And so our schedules get really busy with uh, classes and lessons and activities. We're busy, but often very void of deep relationships. Second great temptation in our culture is to become consumeristic. That everything is, you know, I work hard to get what I have so that I can then buy what I want, so that I can consume things. And our lifestyles are very much driven. Our decisions are how much money can I make so I can enjoy a certain kind of lifestyle. So I can buy certain things and enjoy certain things and have the decisions over those kind of things. I think that's very much uh, crept into the way that we see church. What does it look like for us to go to church? Well, I want to go to the church where where the, the music is exactly what I want, where the preaching is exactly how I want it. Or where the building looks like uh, I want it to look. or, Or the programming is exactly what I want the programming to be. And for many people, we treat church just like we treat anything else. Treat like going to the movies or going to the supermarket. I make that choice based on what I can consume and whether it makes me fulfilled and happy and I get what I want, all that kind of stuff. And we have a culture in North America, church-wise, where a lot of people say, and if I don't get that, then I'll just go shopping somewhere else. I'll go to another church that looks like I think it should look and, and sounds like I should hope it would sound. And I think if Jesus walked into our culture now, It wouldn't be so much that he would have to challenge our strong family bonds. He would probably have to challenge our lack of relational bonds. Because Jesus came and said, I'm creating a family in the kingdom of God that everyone can belong. You're all invited. Y'all get to be part of this. Part of this shared purpose. Come, be part of doing the will of God, which if you read Jesus, he sums that up. To love God with everything that you have. To love other people as an expression of that. And to create a community around that. Say, I'm creating a new family. And he shocked his world by saying, this is even a greater allegiance than your family, your extended family. And I think in our culture, he would come and say, for you, it's maybe those weak bonds. Maybe you need to be invited into a family you've never experienced, a true deep family. Maybe he would have to challenge us on how individual we are and how consumeristic we are, and to say, listen, didn't you realize I've invited you into a deep, meaningful, purpose-driven family, not a one-hour service every week, not just something that you consume. I hope... um, I hope that as we regather, that there'll be many people who enjoy uh, the music and the the way that we worship musically together. I hope you'll enjoy our programs. I hope that our kids programs will impact your kids and make a big difference. We work hard at that. I hope that uh, the sermons that I preach or somebody else preach will make an impact on your life and will encourage you and will instruct you and will equip you. And all that is true. But more than that, I hope that at the end of the day, we together will grow into a group of people who ultimately commit to creating a community where we are committed to loving God in the context of loving one another. Could you imagine when we regathered it wasn't just oh oh great music that was amazing and then we 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 hear a little sermon and we grab our kids and we filter back out into the streets and go our separate ways and do our separate lives but imagine when we came to this place or when we met in each other's homes when we saw each other in the community we looked and we said that's my brother that's my sister there's my mother in faith this is my family this is we come together and this is a deep and meaningful bond these are the people that we're we're doing life with we're walking with when times are good and when times are bad, the people that I can share myself with and they can share themselves with me because Jesus doesn't want us to be fans. He wants us to be family. This is not a baseball game. I don't want to come back and and have a baseball game where we all come and we watch other people actually doing whatever activity. I'm not on the team. I'm just here watching these other people do the thing and I get excited about it and I have an emotional experience and that's a lot of fun and we filter out into the streets and we high five and we hug and then we never see those people again. Jesus doesn't want us to be fans. He wants us to be family. Yeah, come together. We'll do this once a week. We're planning to do these worship services in person once a week when we can do them again. Hopefully that's going to happen in September. But that one hour that we come together will not be the core of our church. The core of our church will be creating community. And that's what I want to call you to, to be part of committing to community. A family-like group where our, our number one allegiance is to put Jesus at the center as we worship God. And the only way we can do that and follow Jesus is by loving each other well. And so as we launch into the next season of what West Side looks like and what the world looks like, everything that we do, we want to see through that filter. We want to be committed to community. To say Jesus calls us to be a family. To be united in purpose, ultimately. To go deep with each other. To build these relational bonds of of loyalty and of commitment that can't be rivaled by any other relationship. In you know, a healthy family, if you think about it, um, and not all of us, um, maybe not many of us, have experienced real healthy family, but in a healthy family, you belong no matter what. In a healthy family, you don't break up just when you disagree about things. In a healthy family, you help one another through tough times. In a healthy family, you work through your problems in relationship, not avoiding problems but working through them. In a healthy family, you commit for a lifetime. In a healthy family, you celebrate together. In a healthy family, you create security and you create opportunities for people to grow. And that's what we want Westside to be about. I believe uh, at the core uh, that we can't grow spiritually if we're not connected relationally. That if we're just kind of consumeristic and individualistic about church, uh, just like we are about going to the movies, um, we're going to have a pretty low ceiling on how we can grow. But when we create, connect relationally, we have this in- incredible opportunity to grow spiritually spiritually. It is within these relationships that we learn about what love looks like and we allow the love of God to penetrate our lives collectively. That's what I want to call you to, to a commitment to community because I don't believe that Jesus wants us to be fans, but family. So here's an exercise I'd love for you to do in the summer. And I know it's summer and people have a lot going on um, and, you know, whatever you have plans, but I think uh, what's going to happen over the next few months as things continue to reopen is there's going to be a real temptation for us to fill up our lives. Maybe with all the stuff we used to do more and more responsibilities and, and things on the schedule. Um, and, and we, we can, really easily become busy with doing all kinds of stuff here's what I would challenge you to do uh, sit down uh, if you're married if you're in a long-term relationship uh, sit down together write down your most deeply held values what's most important to you what deserves your greatest allegiance I'm not gonna tell you what that is and I can't force you to, to choose what I would choose for me, at the forefront is my relationship with God, and as we've talked about today, I can't get around the fact that it has to be worked out in community. if I'm going to follow Jesus. that's the only way. There are other values, but that one is at the top of our list as a family. And then write down the commitments you need to make to honor those values. So what's it going to take for you? What, what are the, the time commitments? What are the energy commitments? What are the resources commitments? What are the financial commitments? Uh, what are the energy commitments? And my challenge to you would be not to say, this is all the things I have to do, but to allow that list to uh, inform for you what you say yes to and what you say no to. Hey, this is a good thing, but it's pretty low on our value. Or this is a good thing, but it's not as high a value as this thing. And so we're going to make sure we do this. And if we don't have time to do this one or to add this into our life, then that's what we're going to say no to because this is a greater value. And again, I can't tell you what that's going to be for you, but I want to challenge you to pray about whether being committed to community Here at Westside, as an outworking of your relationship with God and other people, is one of those things. At Westside, we typically ask you to commit to three environments that we think will be powerful, not just to show up to them and attend them, but to actually give yourself to these things. And we don't have a zillion programs because we don't want to make you so, so busy that you go crazy. But here's three things that, uh, if this resonates with you, Committing to community, a family community, as we express what it looks like to be the people of God. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And as we work towards September, I want you to pray about how you might fit into this. Number one, come and worship with us. Be here on Sunday mornings when when we regather and we reopen hopefully in September to be here to worship together and and, uh, to learn together and to grow together. Number two, volunteer somewhere. Find a way that you can use the gifts that God has given you to help contribute to creating this kind of community, this kind of family. You can do that. Uh, One of the ways you can take a step even today is in the video description here or in the chat uh, to click on the link where we have a little survey and part of that survey is to tell us where you might like to volunteer your time and we'll help connect you with a leader to train you, uh, to bring you on board, make sure that you know what you're doing so that you can be part of not just consuming church, but helping create an environment where people can step into a family-like community. And then as we come back in the fall, uh, we'll start up our life groups again. And this is a place where we gather in people's homes and we go deeper and we build those relationships, those friendships that's really going to last. This is maybe the most uh, churchy thing you can do. It is to get together and pray with people, to read the Bible together, to share your life together, your struggles, to, to work together, to grow spiritually, and to help each other practically in life. And those are the things that, for some of us, might be intimidating. I get that. But I think will be transformative, not just for us, but for the people around us in Hamilton and Ancaster and Dundas that we invite into. Say, what are we inviting those people into? To a church service? To something they consume for an hour? I don't think our goal is ultimately to just regather to attend services. I believe we're being called to build community. And that's what we'll invite people to experience. To consider if these are relationships that they need. True community. That's deeper than any other social bonds that we could think of in this world. That people become sisters and brothers of one another that's where we're going to go and that's what we're going to strategize towards that's what we're going to pray for and I would invite you to, to pray towards that end and to start thinking about how you might be part of that uh, over the next couple of weeks and I just want you to know that um, we have some some I think really bold ways that we think we need to step out in faith to make this happen. So please stay tuned to your emails if you're on our newsletter um, stay tuned to our YouTube channel because in the next uh, week or two few weeks we're going to have some announcements that are, we think are really going to change how we do things and we're really excited about. We want to inform you on and let you know how you can be part of that. Um, So make sure that I know summer, we're we're all doing different things, but uh, so easy to stay checked in uh, online through your email and through these videos. So make sure you do that because it's going to be exciting. And ultimately, I am so excited as we start to think about and put plans into place to create uh, that kind of community, because I know that Jesus doesn't want us to be fans, but he's calling us to be family. So Heavenly Father, I pray that um, as we do the hard work of trying to figure out how we can accomplish that kind of relationship building that you would help us. We know that you will because you've called us into that kind of deep love for one another. In fact, uh, we know that the way that, that we should be known in the world is by the way we love each other. We need your grace and we need your spirit to empower us to do that. And to take steps uh, over the coming weeks and months and years. Uh, but we pray that, that here at Westside, we would be a uh, kind of people join together as a family your family and we pray in Jesus name amen